The heavens are open with the love of God. Paul said that God lavishes his love on us richly. You know, this whole month we've been talking about the language of love. That we really can't speak the language of love until we meet the creator of the language. The one who is love himself. In this whole series we've been talking about that the foundation of love is God. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. So the first week we talked about how we model that love that God modeled for us through uh, acts of service, words of love, uh, uh, physical touch, all kinds of different ways, like Eric was saying, the five love languages. Then last week we talked about speaking love. And then today, God interrupted me this week. I had a sermon prepared and God said, don't preach another message until you share this word that I want the church to hear. And the message I wanna share with you today might be one of the most challenging messages that I've ever preached and that I've had to learn how to do in my life. Most of us in this room, this might be one of the hardest things that, we've, that we will learn to do. But before we get into it, I want us just to turn to our Bibles as we're standing. We're gonna stand for the reading of the word, then I'll let you sit down the rest of service, unless you feel like standing and shouting at some point. But we're gonna open our Bibles to Mark chapter five, all together. And if you don't have a Bible, that's all good. We will give you a Bible after service if you want one. Come down to the altar and we will give you one. We believe the word of God can change your life. It changes our lives. And so maybe you have the Bible on your phone. You can turn to Mark chapter five, verse one. And this is a story about a, a man who had problems in, in himself, a man who had problems in his mind. Jesus went to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. And as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a madman from the cemetery came up to him. He lived there among the tombs and the graves. No one could restrain this madman. He couldn't be chained. He couldn't be tied down. He had been tied up many times with chains and ropes, but he broke the chains and he snapped the ropes. No one was strong enough to tame him. Night and day, he roamed through the graves and the hills, screaming out and slashing himself with sharp stones. I want to stop right there. That's probably one of the darkest scriptures that you'll find in the Bible. But it's one of the most important scriptures, I think, for the culture we live in today, the climate of our world today and what people are facing. Today, I believe God is gonna set some people free. God's gonna give you grace. You're gonna walk out today with greater love in your heart than the way you came in, greater encouragement, greater hope. Lord, I thank you right now that your word would come forth. You speak, God. Without you, I can't do anything. But Lord, with you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, let us hear your voice today. Let us feel your presence today. Holy Spirit, take over. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. Now, let's say our victory confession all together. And we've got 24-7 youth group right here in the front representing. Why don't you grab the hand of the person next to you? Lift it high in the air all across this room. This is what these guys do every week, and I love it. We're gonna say this confession. If you're new to victory, welcome to victory. You got the victory. Now let's say this together on the count of three. Here we go, one, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Come on, church. Give somebody a high five and say, you are loved. You are loved. <laughs> Praise God. Man, you're in the right place. Well, when I was growing up as a pastor's kid, do we have any pastor's kids, preacher's kids in the church this morning? All the PKs, MKs, you don't know what an MK is, it's a missionary kid. And uh, I remember just hanging out, it's a miracle when you got PKs coming to church. Come on somebody, and anyone who's a PK knows what I'm talking about. When you grow up in the church your whole life, you're there when the doors are open, there till the doors close. That was me, my brother, my sisters. The fact that we're all still doing ministry and loving Jesus and in church is a testimony of my parents' love for God and God's power in our lives. But I thought about just growing up in church, just the characters you meet, especially at Victory. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're a character, and I'm a character too. <laughs> and I remember meeting certain people that made a huge impact on my life. 
people that there was just something different about these people. Something stood out. When I was younger, I didn't realize what it was. I, I tried to put my finger on what makes this person so easy to be around, so enjoyable to be around. It wasn't that they were theologically, intellectually, so you know, thought-provoking with their words that they could hermeneutically explain the Bible so well. It wasn't that they were super good-looking or really strong or really funny or really goofy. There was just certain people, certain youth leaders that I had, children's church leaders that I had, people that I watched that made an extreme impact on my life. And, 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 and I realized later on what it was. In fact, my parents had this. My mom especially, she was so good at this. And I, recently I've been watching some old videos from the past of my dad preaching, my mom singing, and her preaching, just kind of watching how they did ministry. They were so like humbly confident, if that's a possibility. Humbly confident that there was this approachability. They just accepted who they were. I am who I am, and I might have a funny laugh. I might be a little crazy or goofy at times, but I'm, I'm okay with me. I'm comfortable in my own skin. And uh, I found this one video of my mom that I wanna share with you. Can I take you guys back like 25 years ago? Some of you guys were here 25 years ago. So we're gonna go a little down memory lane. I wanna show you a video from the past. When you watch this video, I want you to see how the crowd reacts to my mom. Because this is probably the funniest part, that my mom was able to keep pressing through and being who God's made her to be, even though the crowd might have looked a little different. So check this video out, 25 years ago, this was my mom and dad. If you know the song, sing along. The joy of the Lord is our strength. As we rejoice in the Lord, we receive strength. A merry heart, it's like a medicine to us. Let's take our medicine right now. goodness that is too funny I don't know if I'm laughing more at the crowd my dad's reaction or my mom's just pressing through come on take your medicine everybody so good so funny can we just see a, a screenshot real quick of that crowd real fast I just want to look at that crowd one more time <laughs> that is awesome you can tell they're really enjoying it right now, really loving it. You can take the crowd off. I don't want to pick on them. Can we get a screenshot of my dad's face, though? Because he was kind of confused at what was going on, too. Where is he at? There he is. <laughs> He's trying to figure out, like, how is my mom pressing through right now? But too funny. Everybody say, be yourself. Be yourself. You know, I found this. It's hard to be yourself when you don't like yourself. It's hard to really enjoy yourself when you don't like yourself. And I think the reason why my mom stood out and leaders in the church stood out is they had genuinely embraced who they are. They had genuinely come to grips with, I may not be the funniest person, I may not look like her or have his, uh, uh, his body or their job or their life, but I'm okay with who God's made me to be. And I've realized this, that if we're gonna speak the language of love, we've gotta first learn to love ourselves. You can't love others the way that God wants you to love them until you learn to love yourself the way that God wants you to love you. 
I think a lot of us in this room, we deal with self-hatred and self-rejection on a daily basis. We put ourselves down. In fact, for me, one of the biggest things that I have been known to say is I'm my own worst critic. Has anyone else said this? I'm my, I'm my biggest critic in my life. I'm like, you guys don't have to punish me. Don't worry. I will punish myself. I will, I'll beat myself up if I preach a bad sermon. If I make a mistake, don't worry. I'm going to pay for it. I, I, I have a problem making mistakes. I, I, I really beat myself up. You might forgive me. You might think, hey, Paul, it's not that bad. You did a good job. But if I don't think I'm doing good, oftentimes I will hang it over my head. Anyone else guilty of this at times? Just having a hard time letting your mistakes go, forgiving yourself, just kind of feeling ashamed, just rejecting yourself, feeling unworthy even of compliments. And we think it's some sort of humility. It's not. It's false humility. Like when someone's saying, hey, you did a good job. You're like, no, I didn't. I'm terrible. You know? Uh, they're really trying to tell you genuinely you did a good job, but because of our poor self-image, the way that we view ourselves, we can't even be who God's made us to be. And today, I think God wants to set you free to laugh like Pastor Sharon laughs, to dance like she dances, to just be you, to let yourself be you. And you may not be who you want to be, but you're not who you used to be. And God says, I love you even in the process of who you're becoming. God loves you right now. Not the better you, not the more improved you, not the you once you reach there, wherever there is. Some of us won't love ourselves until we get there. And for all of us, we have our own definition of there that once I get this job, once I graduate college, once I break this addiction, once I get rid of these bad habits, once I get married, once we have kids, then I'll finally feel good about myself. Once I lose this much weight, once I you know, uh, uh, make this much money, once I work this many hours, then I'll finally take a vacation. I'll finally feel worthy of love. But God wants us to learn to love ourselves even right now as we are because it has a profound impact on the way we love God and on the way we love people. I want us to go to Matthew 22. Jesus gives a definition of who we're supposed to love, right? If God is love, which he is, 1 John 4, 8 says God is love, then that means God defines how we love and who we love. That means that the Supreme Court doesn't define who we love. America doesn't define who we love. Right? No one defines who we love except for God because he's the creator of love itself. This is where we find the definition of love. This is where we discover how to love. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's all the scriptures about love. But in this one passage, Jesus narrows it down. He says, here, I'm going to tell you how to fulfill the entire Ten Commandments. I'm going to sum it down to two commandments. But within these two, there's an expectation that oftentimes we miss. That God has an expectation of you and of me. What does love require of me? God says this. The first and the most important, uh, verse 36. The first and most important commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Then he goes on to verse 39. He says the second commandment is similar to the first. Loving God, that, that's, that's easy once you start believing that God loves you. And loving God is easy once you realize that God is a good God, that he's worthy of love. Then he says, love your neighbor. Love others as well as you love yourself. Now, the love others part, we do this well. At Victory, our mission is love God, love people, right? You're going to hear a sermon today that I've never preached before because, honestly, it's a sermon I haven't really thought about too much. I I'm all about loving God, worshiping God. God, I love you. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to give my offer. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go on mission trips. I'm going to reach out with compassion and love other people. I'm going to love my wife. But God says, hold on, hold on. Love yourself. Because until you love yourself, you're going to come up short loving other people. You're going to come up short. You will not be able to fulfill these commandments until you learn to love you. I'm not talking about a narcissistic kind of love. I'm not talking about idolizing yourself. I'm talking about loving you the way God loves you. I'm not talking about you being in this, you know, big ego, maniacal mindset, like I never make mistakes, I'm better than everyone else. I'm talking about you coming to grips with who you are, the uniqueness of you, being okay, being comfortable in your own skin, celebrating the way that God made you. And I think we have a hard time with this. In fact, I, I, I've had a hard time with this at times comparing myself to other people. In fact, when I started preaching, I, I thought I had to be like my dad in order to earn people's approval and love because I had wrapped up my self-worth in what I thought others were thinking about me. And the truth was, others weren't thinking about me too much. 
But I was thinking that they were thinking about me. And I was thinking if, if I can be like Billy Joe, if I can preach like he preached. In fact, even after he, he passed away, I got a pair of his shoes. And I would wear his shoes. I would try to, we had the same size foot. So I would wear his shoes and I would try to be like him under the mindset that if I can be like him, I can feel valuable. It wasn't until about a year ago that God started to really set me free to just be me. To wear my own shoes. In fact, someone bought me this pair of shoes I'm wearing. And they said, Paul, we bought you this pair of shoes to just let you know it's okay to wear your own shoes. It's okay to be you. Honestly, I got teary-eyed because... I think this is something that I've dealt with. And, and maybe I'm only preaching to one person in the room. Maybe it's me that, that I'm preaching to. But I think there's other people in the room today that you have a hard time accepting who you are. And, and all throughout the Bible, the Bible is about relationships. Relationship with God. Relationship with others. But also the relationship between you and yourself. Some of us can't stand to be alone with ourselves. Because if we're alone with ourselves, we have to face the demons. The things that we are afraid to admit the, the mistakes we've made, the thoughts we've had, the, the things that have been done to us. There was this one lady who was sharing her testimony and she said, all growing up, my first marriage, and for decades I held this shame. I, I had grown up just ashamed of myself. I hated me. And she said, I was ashamed of myself, not because of what I did, and that's why some of us in this room don't like ourselves, is because of things you've done that you haven't forgiven yourself of. But she said, I was ashamed because of what someone did to me. She said, my dad sexually abused me as a young girl. And all growing up, I always felt like I deserved the abuse. That I was unlovable. That I was an ugly person. And that, that I deserved what, what was being done to me. She said, I was ashamed of myself. And, and, and I couldn't trust any man. My first husband, he was abusive, she said. And she had problems going through it. But praise God, she had a breakthrough, and today her name is Joyce Myers, and she's reaching people with the love of Jesus Christ. But she said, I never would have changed until I finally learned to love me. A healthy kind of love. Not an idolization of yourself, but to truly love you the way that God loves you. A lot of us have a hard time thinking about that, even realizing it. I was thinking about this guy I knew in Tulsa who had a, a strong Oki accent. He really had this country accent. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what Okies sound like, Oklahomans, but he had a strong Oki accent. He ended up marrying this girl from Australia. He went off there and spent at least a year there, came back, and all of a sudden he had an Aussie accent. And I was kind of looking at him like, this isn't real. This is fake. Come on, stop it. Just go back to the old accent, bro. Like, I know you're faking it right now. And it never stopped. And to this day, he has literally, genuinely changed accents. And I realized that we have the power to change the language we've grown up with. When I went to ORU, I started studying Spanish to take it as a minor. And I remember going through uh, Spanish 101, then Spanish 102, and then Spanish 203. And each year, they would tell me the same thing. Paul, you can learn Spanish by studying it, taking the quizzes, taking the test, really looking hard and learning the language here. But the best way to speak Spanish is to go to another country where the only language they speak is Spanish. To force yourself to speak only that language. But even then, when you come back home, it will be so easy and convenient to go back to the language you grew up with. Your first language, your native tongue. My question for you today is, what is your native tongue? What is the language you grew up with? And I'm not talking about English or Spanish or Farsi or Italian or whatever language you speak. I'm talking about the language that you grew up with in your house. Because to me, I think the language we have is the byproduct of the environment we grew up in. The self-hatred we carry is usually because of something we grew up with growing as children. That our language was developed at a young age. That we grew up maybe in a house where the language you learned was a language of sarcasm. A language of verbal abuse. Maybe it was a language of guilt. Just always rehearsing shame, regrets, mistakes. Maybe it was a language of racism and hatred. You watched as your parents would spew out mean words towards other people that were different than them. Maybe it was a language of, 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 uh, uh, of just shame, just constantly carrying that shame. Whatever it was, the good news is this, you can change the language today. You can break the generational curse that's been sitting in your family of self-hatred and self-rejection. I want to take you to a story in the Bible of two brothers that dealt with this self-hatred. Jacob and Esau. Let's go real quick to Genesis 25, verse 29. Genesis 25, verse 29. 
Both brothers had problems liking themselves, but both of them expressed their self-hatred in different ways. Jacob was the younger brother. Both of them came out at the same time, but Jacob was holding on to the heel of Esau as Esau came out first. And all his life, Jacob wanted to be Esau. He looked at his older brother and he said, man, I want his life. I want the blessing that he's going to get. He's the firstborn son. He's the more valuable one. Dad's going to give him a blessing. I wish I had his birthright. Now Esau, on the other hand, he wasn't really into himself. He didn't like himself that much. He didn't think he was that valuable. He didn't think he was that worthy. Even though he was the firstborn son, he didn't think much of who he was. And one day he came home and he was weary. He was tired. Verse 30, he said, give me some of that soup, Jacob, that you've been cooking. And Jacob said in verse 31, okay, I'll give you the soup, but you got to sell me your birthright. In other words, I want your life. I wish I was you. And watch what Esau says back to Jacob. He says, look, I'm about to die. This was an exaggerated statement. He wasn't really about to die. He could have waited a few more hours for his mom to cook a meal. But this is how little he valued himself. He said, what is my birthright to me? What is my life to me? It's really not that much. I'd rather have a bowl of soup. And that day, he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. I think some of us in this room, we're trading our value for counterfeit things that really can't fulfill us. I think one of the leading causes for affairs and adultery and porn addictions and all of the stuff that men and women run to is just an inner self-hatred, just an inner disgust with oneself. And so we dive deeper into these self-destructive habits, these things that we know are making us worse. You don't make yourself better by hating yourself more. You don't make yourself better by disliking yourself more. At some point, you have to stop hating yourself and start loving you the way that God loves you. That's the only way that you're going to break free of this stuff that you keep going back to. It's not going to fix you. It's all counterfeits. But Esau didn't get it, and neither did Jacob. In fact, both of them continued on the rest of their life, struggling to embrace who they were. Genesis 27, it says that Jacob began to pretend to be Esau. We do this, right? We pretend to be someone that we're not like me during those years of pretending to be like my dad, hoping to win someone's approval. My first year of college, I came in. My brother was a sophomore, and he was the funniest guy on campus. He was so goofy. Everybody loved John. I mean, everybody still loves John Samuel Doherty. And I, I thought I could be a little bit like John and get people to like me, and I tried to be like John, and people were like, dude, you're failing miserably. You cannot be your brother. You know, they were like, we hate you even more because you're trying to be your brother. <laughs> and it drove me into even a greater self-hatred because I just felt like, man, I, I'm not funny like John. I, I don't have the uh, personality to make good friends like John does and just all this stuff. And I, I just began to despise who I was. Have you ever been there before where you start comparing yourself to someone and you just start despising who you are, the gifts you have? The strengths that God's put inside you, you start minimalizing them and saying, no, I'm, I'm really not that great. I'm really not that worthy. I'm really not that valuable. I wish I was him. This is what Jacob did. In fact, Jacob's mom said, hey, Jacob, if you'll pretend to be like your older brother, your dad will finally stamp his approval on you. That's the bottom line of that story. Moms and dads have the power to really bring affirmation to their kids. So Jacob grows up feeling like he can't get his dad's approval that his dad literally favored Esau more than he favored Jacob. And so he said, maybe if I'm a little bit more like my older brother, maybe you're out here today and you're going, if, if I was just a little bit more, more like my sister, then my parents would pay more attention to me. If I was a little bit more like my brother, if I was just a little bit more like my dad, then I would be more lovable. I'd be more worthy. And so we start pretending to be someone that we're not. And we start doing things that we really shouldn't be doing. And and we lose ourselves in the process. Even if I was to become successful pretending to be my dad, at the end of my life, I would have to realize, what if I gain the whole world, but I lose my soul? I lose me in the process, right? Some of us are doing this. We're pretending to be someone that we're not, and we're losing our soul in the process. And Jacob does this. He pretends and goes on years. He hides from Esau because Jacob deceives his dad. By the way, Jacob's name in the Old Testament names carried significant meaning. Jacob meant deceiver, meant con man, trickster. Every time Jacob would hear his name, it would sound like this. It's time to go to school, little con man. Time to get ready for dinner, little trickster. Come on, got to go to bed, you little deceiver. 
Come on, Jacob. This is how he viewed himself. He hated himself, hated his name. And so the rest of his life, he's running from Esau. I'll come back to them in just a second. But I want us to think about how do we begin to start loving ourselves the way that God wants us to love us? How do we change the language that we've grown up believing about us and speaking over our lives and thinking about our lives? How do we begin to change that language? I think it starts with our feelings. I want to just walk you through real quickly four things that I think could help you today break out of that box of self-hatred. I think it starts with our feelings. Some of us in this room, we feel ugly. Like you could take 100 pictures on your phone and none of them are worthy to be posted. Because you're like, I found a flaw on this one. I found a flaw on that one. I don't like my hips on that one. I don't like my side on that one. I don't like my hair on that one. Oh, my nose looks terrible. I hate my nose. I, oh, my ears look so bad. I Some of us feel ugly. Some of us in this room, we feel ashamed. We feel unworthy because of things we did that we wish we wouldn't have done. Maybe you're here today and you cost your company millions of dollars. Maybe you're here today and you cost your marriage because you had an affair. Maybe you're here today and you messed up big time. You lost your virginity and you feel unworthy. You feel ashamed of yourself. Here's the truth. Our feelings are not the facts. We have to learn to separate the feelings from the facts. I might feel unworthy, but the fact is God says I am his son. I am his beloved. I am forgiven. I might feel ugly, but God says I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and he knows that. I might feel uh, uh, unlovable, but God says I love you. There's nothing that could separate me from the love of God. I might feel like a failure, but the fact is God says I'm more than a conqueror. Someone's watching right now and you have been feeling so bad about yourself. I know for me, one of the things I have to deal with on a regular basis is just shaking off negative feelings about how I preach. I mean, every week I, I will think about, oh, I should have said that. I, I wish I would have left that one out. I wish I would have said this differently. And and I remember one week after a message, I was comparing it to other messages, and I was like, man, this one was like a one out of 10, and the other ones were at least a five or a six, and it doesn't matter what you think about my sermons, at the end of the day, if I don't think they're good, I have to live with myself. You ever thought about that? You can't get away from you. Like, you could take a vacation, but you go with yourself on vacation. <laughs> Everywhere you go, there you are. Someone just got a great revelation right there. Like, oh my gosh, I... I'll never escape myself. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. Until we learn to love ourselves, that means we're in for a really wretched life. Because that means for the rest of our lives, we have to live with someone that we hate. That's how important this message is. I remember like four or five days after this one sermon that I preached, I was still beating myself up. You know, I'm my own worst critic, Right? And I would just hang it over my head. Oh, Paul, you messed. I was rehearsing every night the mistakes I made in that sermon. How I wish I would have said this better. I wish I would have done this better. And I had preached the word God called me to preach. It's crazy how you can do the right thing and still feel miserable about yourself. Because of your self-image, the way you view yourself. And I was feeling miserable. And, and Ashley leaned over to me. I'm grateful for an amazing wife. She said, Paul, I hate to break it to you, but they're not thinking about you anymore. Like, you keep thinking that they're thinking you're a failure. They stopped thinking about you right after the service when they went to go eat. They're thinking about themselves. Like, they're just not thinking about you. So get over your, your, your sense of failure. And she said, and honestly, it wasn't as bad as you think it was. Some of us are beating ourselves up on a daily basis. We are making ourselves feel terrible. I remember just one, one story, and I'll go on to the next point, but this guy walked up to a young man in our church. He was an older guy who walked up to a young guy in our church. And this young guy was carrying shame and just depression. You could see it on his face, just felt miserable, just felt like he was a failure. The older man just walked up to him, put his arm around him and said, don't be so hard on yourself. And he gave him a $20 bill. The young man just got teary-eyed, walked out of the church. His mom knew that he had been struggling with just self-hatred and the ultimate act of self-hatred is suicide. She knew, man, he is on a, a pretty bad path here of how bad he feels. And now someone's made him cry at church. She didn't know what the older man said or did. She just thought, oh, no, someone came up to him and condemned him. And he was crying. He said, Mom, he told me not to be so hard on myself. He gave me a $20 bill. Something changed in that guy's life. 
Today, he's a different person because someone had the power to help him stop the narrative that he was saying in his head. See, we have the power to change how we feel. You don't have to hold on to the feelings of shame and unforgiveness and ugliness. You know, here's a practical challenge for some of you who have a hard time feeling like any picture is worthy of you. Go ahead and just post the picture that you think you're ugly in. Just get it out there. Just get over yourself. Stop calling yourself ugly. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says you are his daughter. You're a princess. You're his son. He made you in his image. We can change the way we feel. We can allow God to have the final say. That our feelings don't have to have the final say. God's word can have the final say. What does God say over me? If we're going to change our feelings, here's what we have to do. We have to ask God to forgive us where we've missed it. Ask God to forgive us where we've made a mistake. There's freedom in asking for forgiveness and then receiving forgiveness. My Bible doesn't just say ask and keep on asking and keep going to the altar call every single time because you're unworthy. My Bible says ask and receive the forgiveness of God. Receive it. Stop thinking I didn't get it yet. If God forgave you, it's time for you to forgive you. If your wife forgave you, it's time for you to forgive you. If your husband forgave you, it's time for you to forgive you. If your parents forgave you, it's time for you to forgive you. If your boyfriend forgave you, if your girlfriend forgave you, it's time for you to forgive you. So many of us have a hard time receiving the forgiveness of God for ourselves. And so we just keep holding on to these feelings of unworthiness, ashamedness. It's got to change. Band, I want you to come up as I get ready to close. Number two, thoughts. We have to work on our thoughts. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where we begin to start thinking what God thinks about us. You know, the truth is, people's thoughts didn't make you, and people's thoughts can't break you. Your thoughts didn't make you, and your thoughts can't break you, but God's thoughts are what made you. And it's when you tune into God's thoughts about you that you start being transformed in your mind. What does God think about me? What does God think about me? Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the thoughts I have for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. Thoughts to give you a future and a hope. God's not thinking that, man, I really hope they beat themselves up. He really preached a bad sermon. I hope he holds it over his head for the next week. I hope he feels miserable at his home for the way that he cost the company all, those, all that money. I hope she really lives a miserable life for the next 20 years because she cheated and she did something she shouldn't have done. God's not up in heaven hoping that you'll hate yourself. God's up in heaven hoping that you'll forgive yourself, hoping that you'll finally start thinking the way that he thinks about you. God says, I'm thinking your best days are still in front of you. I'm thinking I'm not finished with you yet. I'm thinking that what I started in you, I'll be faithful to complete. I'm thinking that you're more than a conqueror. I'm thinking you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'm thinking that I sent my son on purpose to die for you, even while you were a sinner, to set you free, to make you free to the righteousness of God. I'm thinking that you are forgiven, redeemed, a holy, chosen, royal priesthood created in Christ Jesus to do good things. Today, we need to tune into what God thinks about us. This is powerful. Psalm 139, verse 14. David starts to rehearse God's thoughts. And before this scripture, David starts to talk about how God's thoughts for us outnumber the sands on the seashore. I want us to close our eyes just for a moment. Imagine a beach, a huge, amazing beach. The ocean is out there, but this massive beach, and God says, where you see the sand, every piece of sand is a positive thought that I have for you. That's what David said, that the thoughts of God that are good towards us outnumber the sands on the seashore. God thinks good about you. Moms, he thinks good about you. Dads, he thinks good about you. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, he's thinking good about you. He thinks good about you. Maybe you're here today and you feel like the biggest sinner. God thinks good about you too. David says this, Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to stop right there. What David's saying right here, this is after David has committed adultery. This is after David has murdered the man that was married to the woman that he slept with. David has made some terrible mistakes. 
And most of us in this room would go, yeah, David really needs to pay for that, really needs to just spend his years in prison just thinking about how terrible of a loser dad he was, how big of a failure he was. But I'm telling you, God's up in heaven going, I forgive you. I forgive you in the back, and I forgive you in the front, and I forgive you on the side, and I forgive you of the addictions that you've held on to, and I forgive you of the mistakes that you've made, and I forgive you of the purity that you thought you lost. I forgive you, and I want you to live the rest to your life doing this. David said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to praise you. I may not be perfect, but you are God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And he says this, marvelous are your works. Do you hear what he's saying? David's saying, you did a good job on me, God. Now, some of us in this room, were like, oh, no, nah, that's bad right there. That's some straight up pride right there. No, it's not. You know what David's doing? He's saying, God, well, the opposite of this would be God, you really messed up on me. I mean, look at myself. Look at my nose. Look at my messed up teeth. Look at my, look at this right here. Like my love handles. Come on, God. Like what happened here? Right? But, but that's not what we do. David was saying, look, God, you've done a marvelous job. Thank you for making me to be the man that you've made me to be. Thank you for loving me even when I haven't loved myself. Thank you for dying for me even when I made the worst mistakes. See, religion, religion wants us to feel like we'll never measure up. Religion wants us to feel like, man, I'll never be worthy. I'll never be righteous. I'm going to have to work the rest of my life to even get close to some of these preachers that are so righteous. No, the preachers got problems too. But see, here's the, here's the real thing. We don't find our righteousness in what we've done. We find our righteousness in what he's done. And that's why we're able to say, marvelous are your works, God. You have redeemed me from the curse. You have taken me from the pit of despair. You loved me even at my worst. And my soul, David says, my soul knows this very well. The deepest part of me has finally believed what you believe about me. Your soul is the deepest part of you. It's deeper than your mouth. It's deeper than your eye gate, your ear gate. Uh, it's deeper than all of you. Your soul is what you finally settle in on. This is what I'm going to believe about me. Some of us in this room, our souls have believed, I'm a failure. I'm, I've failed as a mom. I've failed as a wife. I've failed as a son. I've failed as a Christian. I, I failed God. David, he had made a lot of mistakes. He could have easily settled in on feeling like a failure. But instead, he settled his soul in on this. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, God, help me to love me the way that you love me. Help me to see me the way that you see me. Help me not to compare myself to the people around me. You know you're with someone who's comfortable in their own skin when they're not envious of anyone who's more talented than them around them. How do you act when you're around people who you think are better looking than you or have more talents than you or just are really good at communicating with people or have an awesome personality? Do you get envious? Do you get insecure? Do you kind of bottle up and go, I can't even be me? What if I laugh and they don't like my laugh? What if I, what if I go and they don't even like me? They don't even accept me? At some point, you have to settle in on, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I can thrive at being me. I can thrive at being me. I can wear my shoes. <laughs> this is gonna set someone free today. Our words, feelings, thoughts, words, they start to come out of your mouth. What are you saying about you? Stop saying what others have said about you. Stop saying what the devil has said about you. You know the devil has a native tongue too. He's got a language he's been speaking since the beginning of time. The devil's language is the accuser of the brethren. He is the biggest liar in the world. He is the father of lies. And when the devil speaks, he whispers these lies like this. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. You really messed up. Big failure. You are condemned. Shame on you. But you know what God's saying from heaven? Shame off you. Shame off you. Shame off you. You are forgiven. You are loved. The mercy of God has washed away your mistakes. Shame off you. Condemnation off you. Stop beating yourself up. Stop, stop being so hard on yourself. God's looking down from heaven going, I love you. 
I love you right now. Not the better you, not the more improved you, not the you when you finally get there. I love you right now in the process of becoming who I've called you to be. Ephesians 4, 29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only words that are necessary for edification. And that's for self-talk too. That's not just how you talk to others. That's how you talk to yourself. I remember playing sports with a guy and the whole time during the sport, he was like, come on, I hate myself. Stop it, get it together. And he was hitting himself with a tennis racket. And I was like watching him like, you gonna be okay? Do we need to call the, the ward, the psychiatric ward? Like what's, what do we need to do? Like it was turning into a very self-hating conversation with himself. But some of us do this while we're driving in the car, while we're laying in our beds, we just rehearse our mistakes. We say the meanest words to ourselves. Unworthy, so ugly. We'll look in the mirror and we'll just say, ah, hate myself. Stop saying that. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you say I hate myself one more time. God says, please, please say the words I'm saying over you. I am more than, you know what I say when I get up to preach? I started saying this this last year. Every time I'm getting up to preach, I am anointed to preach the gospel. I am anointed. Now, I may not always feel like I got the best word, but I've got to change how I feel. And I've got to speak what God says. And I've got to change what I think about me. And some of y'all in the room, you might not think I'm that anointed, but that doesn't matter. Your thoughts didn't make me and your thoughts can't break me. God says I'm anointed. God says I'm a royal priesthood. God says you got what it takes. God says as I was with Moses, so I am with you. God says everywhere your foot touches, you shall prosper. God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God says you are more than a conqueror. God says I made you in my image. God says you are a mighty warrior. God says you've got what it takes. Church, we've got to start saying what God says about us. I'll never be who God's made me to be until I embrace who God has created me to be. I'll never become the man that God's called me to become until I come to grips with who I am right now. Some of us have been running from ourselves our whole life. We've been running from ourselves. Jacob spent the next like six decades running from himself, hating himself. Remember the guy who pretended to be his brother Esau? But this one day he finally decided enough is enough. Enough is enough. I'm going to face the demons. I'm going to face the feelings. I'm going to face this self-hatred, this self-rejection. Today's the day that I finally embrace who I am. In fact, it was this night. I want us to go in our Bibles real quick. Genesis 32. you got to catch this. This is so good. This is what he says. Genesis 32, verse 25. It says that he was all alone. Jacob was left alone. And verse 24, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with the man. Now, stop right there. That man was God himself. Jacob was wrestling with God, trying to figure out who he was. Some of you have been wrestling with God, trying to find out who you really are. Who am I, God? How am I supposed to love me with all my flaws and all my mistakes and all the shame, the things that have been done to me? Some of you in this room have been abused as a kid, sexually abused, verbally abused, and you've been carrying the shame. And you know what God's saying to you right now? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It is not your fault. What was done to you, it is not your fault. We live in a world with a lot of mean Spirits, And we've got to separate the spirit from the person. The person's not the problem. It's the spirit inside of the person. And God looks at Jacob and says, Jacob, you've wrestled with me. You've been fighting this your whole life. It's time for you to know who you really are. You thought you've been the deceiver, the con man, the trickster. You have hated who you are. But I'm telling you tonight who you really are. And Jacob says, Jacob, verse 27, he says to him, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. And verse 28, he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but your name shall be called Israel. For you have struggled with God and with man, and you have prevailed. And Jacob looks at him and he says, tell me your name. But the angel doesn't answer because he wasn't there to tell Jacob 
what his name was. He was there to tell Jacob who Jacob's name was. Today, I believe God wants to give you a new name, a new language. He wants to heal your heart. Some of you grew up with the language of guilt. Some of you grew up with the language of sarcasm. Some of you grew up with the language, you can't even celebrate other people. Like you have a hard time celebrating people's strengths because maybe in your house, everybody was comparing and constantly negatively putting people down. But today, God wants to set you free from that insecurity, from that intimidation, from that spirit of fear. He says, I've given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. To me, a sound mind is a healthy view of yourself. The best gift we can give the world is a healthy us, a healthy you, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And when you hate yourself, it's equivalent to really mental uh, uh, unstableness. You have to get to that place where, okay, I'm gonna love me. I'm gonna embrace who God's made me to be. And the fourth one is this, feelings, thoughts, words, actions, actions. It's time for you to start treating yourself as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have not taken a vacation in a long time. You have days that you've not used at your workplace because you don't feel like you deserve it. The boss is going, hey, how come you haven't taken a day off in like 10 years? Two years, three years, four years, and you're going, I, I haven't proven myself. I haven't done a good enough job. I'm, I'm not worthy to take a day off. I, I can't imagine myself just going to play golf or getting my nails done or having a good time. I just, I'm not that pretty. I'm not, I'm not worthy. And so we don't treat ourselves with love. There's a story, a true story of this girl came to our youth group and when she showed up to 24 seven, just had scars on both sides of her arms from the wrist all the way up. They said, tell us, tell us what those scars are. She said, I hate myself. I feel ugly, I feel fat. No guy could ever like me. No one could ever like me. I don't like me. She's looking at her scars. Every night she would take a blade and cut herself to punish herself for how ugly she felt, for how unvaluable she felt, for the things that she had done and the things that had been done to her. And as she came to youth and she started to experience the word of God and the worship and be around other people and she started hearing God loves you, God loves you, God thinks good about you, God says good about you, God wants you to start treating yourself as the temple of the Holy Spirit, God wants you to start treating yourself with love, to not cut yourself. She got set free today. She has a firm identity in Jesus Christ. She loves God. She hasn't been cutting herself. She's been free from this self-hatred. There's another guy who, he came back from fighting overseas. He served in the military for America and he came back and he carried all this regret, all this shame, all this self-hatred that every day after work, he'd go to the liquor store and he'd buy a bottle of Jack Daniels and just drink himself to sleep. Every night, routinely, wake up the next morning, go to work, after work, go to the liquor store, get another big bottle of Jack Daniels, drink himself to sleep. Hated himself. Hated himself. One day, he got a call from a, a minister, a friend who was in ministry. They just said, hey, how are you doing? Told him how he was doing. He said, why don't you come and spend some time with us? So he came, and he hung out with this minister and the minister's wife and started going to church with him, started getting his mind transformed, started hearing a message like this to start forgiving yourself, stop hating yourself. He experienced a transformation. Today, that man is happily married, has a healthy marriage, a healthy family. He's plugged into church. He's serving at his church. He's given up the bottle. He's walked away from the liquor store. He's found his identity in Jesus Christ. And the minister that reached out to him is our youth pastor, Eric Morris, that took him in. It said, listen, God's got a plan for your life. He's not finished with you yet. I want us to stand to our feet all over this room. Something needs to happen today in your mind, in your heart, in your life. Today, you need to forgive yourself. You need to receive the forgiveness of God. You need to stop beating yourself up on a daily basis. I need to speak to someone who's watching this online. I just sense in my spirit there is someone right now who is contemplating suicide. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're watching this from. But God says, don't you do it. I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for you. I love you. 
people love you. It's time for you to start loving yourself. It's time for you to forgive yourself. I don't know what you've done, and I don't know what's been done to you, but God says, I can redeem you. I can break the generational curse, the language you grew up with, whatever guilt you've been carrying, whatever baggage you've been carrying. God says he loves you. He loves you. He forgives you. Don't be ashamed anymore. Don't be condemned anymore. Today, God says, shame off you. Shame off you. You are the beloved. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes across this place. God's speaking to you right now, young and old, all over this room. What have you been saying to yourself? What have you been thinking about yourself? I'm not talking about pride. I'm not talking about idolization of you. I'm talking about learning to fully embrace who God made you to be. How have you been treating yourself? What feelings have you allowed to settle in as beliefs in your mind about who you are? Today, it's time to accept what God says. It's time to accept what God thinks. It's time to finally come to grips with who you are. Like Jacob, that night that he finally got alone and said, okay, God, I'm gonna stop comparing myself to my brother. I'm gonna stop pretending to be someone that I'm not, and I'm gonna finally face who I really am. And the amazing thing is, after Jacob died, God no longer just identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. God identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God is the God of the you that you don't even like, the parts of you that you hate, the parts of you that you wish were different. God says, I'm still the God of that side of you. I'm still the God God of the you that's still struggling to break the addiction. I'm still the God of you when you feel so ugly and unworthy. God says, I call you my son, my daughter today. Please let the Holy Spirit work in your life. If that's you across this room, something needs to change. I want you to lift your hand right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. From the front to the back, from the front row to the last row today, you're saying, please include me in that prayer, pastor. I have struggled most of my life really liking me. And today I've got to stop hating myself and start accepting myself the way that God sees me, what God says about me. The crazy thing is you can know all the scriptures in the Bible and yet miss out on this one part. You could be the smartest person in the room and yet be missing out on one of the smartest things you can do, which is to finally forgive yourself, to finally say, okay, God, it's time for me to stop carrying the shame. All over this room, if you raised your hand, or you say, I just need to get to that altar. I need to change the way I've been thinking, the way I've been speaking, the feelings I've been having, the way I've thought of even about treating myself. All over this room, I just want you to make a bold step towards this altar. Just leave your seat. Come down to this altar right now. Today is your day for freedom. Today is your day to be healed on the inside. Until you reconcile with yourself, you will never reconcile with others. Until you reconcile with yourself, you will never reconcile with others today. Let God reconcile you. Let God restore you. Let God wash you. Let God remind you who you are. Come on, church, let's cheer on every brave man, every brave girl, every brave mom, every brave dad, every brave couple across this room. Or some, there's a pastor watching on TV. 
Where's the camera that I need to talk to? There's a pastor watching on TV. You have put yourself down for the ministry that you feel like is unworthy, you feel like you're failing, and God's looking down from heaven saying, you're not a failure, pastor. You are not a failure. You have not missed it. You have not messed up. You might feel like it's going terrible, but God says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're doing a great job. Don't quit, don't give up. Quit being so hard on yourself. Step into who God has called you to be. I sense there's a mom in the room you have put yourself down because you feel like you're not like the other moms. Maybe God gifted you to be a different kind of mom. You know, our world tries to put us in boxes. This is how a pastor is supposed to be. This is how a pastor's wife is supposed to be. I'm thankful my wife is who God's called her to be. She doesn't have to be like my mom. She doesn't have to be like some other pastor's wife in Texas or in another state. God's called you to be who you're called to be. You do you. You don't have to fit in the box. You can still honor God and be who God's called you to be. You are uniquely you. You were born an original. Don't you die a copy. You were born an original. Don't you dare die as a copy. Stop pretending to be someone that you aren't. Start embracing who you really are. Someone in here has really kept the mask up good. You wear it well at church, but at nighttime, you hate yourself. And throughout this whole message, you've been afraid to admit it. And God's saying, go to the altar now. Let us deal with this now. Take off the mask. It's okay. No one here is going to judge you. Take off the mask. No one's here. No one is here to do that. Jesus looked at the woman caught in adultery. And he said, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm talking about real grace. I'm talking about receiving the forgiveness of God and the freedom to just move forward. I sense there's someone in the room who's committed a sexual sin and you have broken somebody's heart. And the truth is, maybe you've had a conversation and they forgave you, but you have not forgiven yourself. You feel like you can't forgive yourself. You feel like you're supposed to live in a miserable prison the rest of your life for the sin that you committed. And God's saying right now, come on, forgiveness is for you too. Forgiveness is for you too. Forgiveness is for you too. It's not just for the little sins, it's for the big sins too. It's not just for the ones who deserve it. The truth is none of us deserve the mercy of God. But every morning he says, my mercies are new every morning. Lord, I receive a fresh start. I receive a new beginning today. I'm moving forward out of guilt, out of the language of shame. I'm moving into the language of love. I'm moving into the language of mercy. I'm moving into the language of grace. I'm moving into the language of freedom today. Come on, receive it right now all across this room. Whoever you are, just step out from your seat right now in Jesus' name. He's going to start breaking strongholds off your life. He's going to start breaking addictions off your life. You won't feel the need to go back to that counterfeit source. You're going to give up the bottle. You're going to give up the websites. You're going to give up the adultery. You're going to give up the affair. Today, when you finally face who he made you to be, he says, you are loved. You are lovable. He loves you. He forgives you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for generational curses to be broken in this place. Healing in this place. Freedom in this place. Comparison broken. Envy broken. Jealousy broken. The freedom to celebrate others and the freedom to celebrate who God made you to be. He did a marvelous job on you. He did a marvelous job on you. I want us to sing that chorus, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. I want us just to sing that together if we can. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. 
child of God. Say it one more time. I'm no longer. You're no longer a slave to hate, no longer a slave to that intimidation, no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to self-rejection, no longer a slave to those problems. You are a child of God. I sense God's doing something right now. I promise I will dismiss in just a minute, but I do not want to mess up what the Holy Spirit's doing. Mark chapter 5, we started with this story. A madman, he would slash himself with stones. He lived in the tombs. Jesus crossed the ocean, the Sea of Galilee, not the ocean, a big sea. He crossed the whole sea to just heal one person. It's the only one guy in that whole town that got healed and saved. Jesus would cross the sea again just to heal you, just to tell you that he loves you. The wild thing is, the man wasn't getting healed of blindness, wasn't getting healed because he was lame, wasn't getting healed because he had back pain. He was getting healed of mental demon possession. In the old days, self-hatred was labeled demon possession. Today, it's just labeled self-hatred. It's still demon possession. We're listening to these demons, this lies. You're not worthy, you're not good enough. The lies of the devil had caused this man to cut himself unworthy, unworthy. Jesus said, who are you? The man said, legion, we are many. In other words, there were so many voices in his head just speaking negative words over him. Jesus said, I command you, come out in Jesus' name. Immediately the spirits left that man. It said the man was sitting in his right mind that when Jesus left, that man was totally healed. His mental stability, his emotional stability, he was in his right mind. He came to Jesus, he said, Jesus, I wanna travel with you, I wanna do ministry with you. You healed my mind, you set me free of this self-hatred, this demon possession. Jesus said, no, I've called you to minister to the people in your town. What I've done for you, I want you to do for others. Today, down here at this altar, God has set you free, not just so that you can love yourself, but so you can help other people to have freedom in their mind, freedom in their heart. Lord, I thank you right now for every guy, every girl. You have the mind of Christ. We take captive of every wrong demonic thought, every self-mutilating thought, Suicidal thoughts have to go in Jesus' name. He loves you. He loves you. He forgives you. You are enough. You are more than enough. God affirms you. Fearfully and wonderfully made. He's done a marvelous job. He's done a marvelous job mind of Christ all across this room God I thank you that you're healing our thoughts healing our hearts changing the words we say about us no longer will I say I hate myself from this day forward I will say I am a child of God loved by God anointed to do what God's called me to do I'm more than a conqueror I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me I am forgiven. Just say that with me. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I have the mind of Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I didn't love myself. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. 
receive your mercy. I receive my identity in you, Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am forgiven. I'm all yours, God. I choose from this day forward to allow your love to change the way I speak, the way I think, the way I feel, the way I act towards myself. I'm gonna walk in love with you, God, with others, and with myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I just sent something changed in someone's life this morning.